He has over 500,000 YouTube subscribers. He has over 121 million YouTube plays. And this year, he's showing the world that he's not just a YouTuber. He's fishing the Bassmaster Opens to try and qualify for the Bassmaster Elite Series. This week, Ben Milliken joins me on... I'm Bob Cobb from the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all, friends, family, freeloaders, fishing freaks. You're all welcome here at the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. Happy Hump Day, happy Wednesday. I want to welcome in all our humpers that watch week after week, and thank you for doing that. Moment of total honesty. This show was pre-recorded before I headed off to Florida. So if there's any breaking news or anything that I don't address, like, for example, congrats to whoever won the Lake Okeechobee Bassmaster Elite Series event. It was wonderful, I assume. I mean, they usually are. Um, and, and also, another thing that I have to address before we get into our guest is normally, you guys are used to it, right after an Elite Series event, after every Elite Series event, we have my buddy in. Bassmaster videographer, outdoor extremist, and all-round good guy with Jake's take, Jake Latondris. Well, he's running all over the place traveling right now. We've got back-to-back -back Elite Series events, so we will have a supersized double-down Jake's take next week. Um, we'll break down the first two events of the season, Angler of the Year, and behind-the-scenes scuttlebutt and all that sort of stuff that you guys enjoy. So I've missed doing them with Jake. I mean, Jake is... Uh, and some of you guys have missed having Jake on here. Jake's everything that's good about this show, and, I, and I'm sometimes everything that's bad about this show. But um, he'll be back next week, which ironically will be episode, the Wayne Gretzky episode, episode 99. Um, which, wow, it's hard to believe that 99, but with that in mind, show 100 is the week after that, and we have um, Dream Guest. A dream guest, somebody who I've wanted to do a show with, was never able to do a show with them, but finally it got put together, and we'll talk about more about that later. But let's talk about this week's guest. Um, one of the things that I appreciate most in life is people taking a risk. You know, people that, um, you know, the old saying, you can't steal second without taking your foot off first, and Everything in life tells you to be safe, to do the safe things. And and I'm not talking about driving around drunk without a seatbelt on and jerking the wheel. No. I mean, you should be safe in those situations. But what I'm talking about is when somebody has no reason to do something, but they do it just because something inside them tells them to do it. And Ben Milliken from Milliken Fishing has literally no reason to do what he's doing. I mean... He has an incredibly successful YouTube channel, an incredibly strong following, um, great partners, backers, people. I mean, he could spend the rest of his life making YouTube videos and not change a thing, and they would still be successful. And, and nobody's questioning his abilities as an angler. I mean, if you look at some of the stuff that he's revealed in his show, some of the stuff that he's accomplished, some of the fish that he's caught... There's nobody, like, you'll have to search pretty far before you hear someone say, I don't know if that Milliken guy can really catch him. So with all that being said, 
that's what I think is so freaking cool about what he's doing. He's still making YouTube videos. He's still going to be just as active with that. But he has the kahunas to throw them over his shoulder and show up at the Bassmaster Opens and be one of that 175 anglers that are trying to vie for nine spots to make it to the Bassmaster Elite Series. I think that is super freaking cool, and you have to respect that. Somebody who is willing to and, – and here's – I mean – a lot of people will be like, well, so-and-so fishes the open. So, yeah, that's true. But Ben Milliken won't get the same freedoms as a lot of those people because Ben Milliken's going to be one of those names that people are going to check the standings. And everybody knows if you have fish tournaments, if you fish five tournaments or 500 tournaments, everybody knows that it takes a little time to get going. He's not going to get that time without being under the spotlight. There's benefits to that. There's negatives to that. But most people, Literally 98.6% of people on earth, a totally made up stat, but it's probably close. Don't take the risks. Ben Milliken is, and I think that's freaking cool and that's commendable. And I'm excited to hear about it. So without further ado, the head MF for himself, Ben Milliken. Ben Milliken, you have been on every single podcast in the world. And now you're finally on this podcast. I'm glad we could, we, we literally have tried to do this for a long time. Have we not? We've been trying to do it. And like we just talked about, if we were available all the time, then that would mean we weren't doing something right in this industry. So I'm, I'm proud to be a part of this, especially with some of the, the recent guests you've had on, man. I, I'm, I'm just elated that I get to be in the same conversation as these guys. Well, I don't, I don't think you get to be there not without a lot of hard work. I mean, when I look at, at the empire you've built, um, it's pretty impressive. Half a million subscribers on YouTube. I mean, and an independent YouTuber, you know, you did it by yourself, basically. I'm sure there's every behind everybody is, is, is a team, you know, a group of people, whether they were friends of yours that helped you along the way. But um, is that something you hang in? I mean, I, I guess I'm a weirdo this way. You know, at one point I was like, when I get 10,000 YouTube followers, I'll be happy. And you get there and you're like, oh, I want 20. And then you get 100. And now I'm almost at two. And I'm like, I really would like two. And then I'll, I'll uh -huh. never be satisfied. You're at half a million YouTube followers, which is honestly one of the biggest independent fishing YouTube channels. Are you satisfied? Um. I think I get less satisfied all the time. I thought that when I got to certain milestones, I'd be more satisfied. And then once you get a half a million people that watch your videos, you're like, well, that doesn't really matter. I'm not trying to get higher numbers. That doesn't mean anything. I just want to do the best that I can do. That's kind of a cheesy way to put it. But I think as you keep growing, it's like, does 600 mean more than 500? No, it doesn't mean anything more. Does 501 mean anything more? No, not really. I'm, I'm happy that I have everyone that's willing to take the time out of their day to watch. Um, and I just keep doing the best I can. And I think that's honestly a sane way to live. Like if you're chasing numbers, numbers yeah. never end. You'll never be satisfied. You'll go crazy. You yeah. will go crazy. I've dealt with that. And I'm not going to lie, man. Like sometimes uh, you, 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 start putting all this content out. Like I've literally, since I started doing this full-time seven years ago, almost, I have not gone like more than four days without putting a video out, except for like once when I went out of town for like 14 or 17 straight days. 
And then most of those weeks, I've put out four to seven videos a week for the last seven years. And you start to do that so much and work so hard. You're like, what am I doing this for? Does it matter if I make more money or get more views? And I've gone through depression and stuff because of it, to be honest, because it's just like you, you almost lose purpose, even though you want to put content out for yourself and for others. But it's like, what are you building towards after a while? That's why I, I am really excited about everything I have to look forward to with this year. Depression is a real thing in YouTube, though. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. you're not the only one. Like, you hear a lot of, and not just in the fishing world, like, YouTube is kind of, and I always think it's kind of like, like being a mailman. It never ends. Like, like, like yeah. uh, Newman used to say on Seinfeld, he's like, it just keeps coming. And, and that's what YouTube is like. And you're just continuously, and, and it feels like nobody, nobody says, oh, two weeks ago, you pumped out a really good video. It's like, when is the next video? Is, is that what it feels like for you? Yeah, 100%. I think it happens to, a lot of people that do it full-time, if not everyone, like I've seen all, all these insanely beautiful places and fish some of the greatest places in the world and fish with my childhood heroes. And it's like, I, I plan this trip and somehow I get a hold of Mike Iaconelli, who's willing to, he's watched my videos and he's a big fan of me. Who's like, gives me goosebumps thinking about it. This is a couple of years ago, you know, and just, this is just one example, but uh, reach out to him and he somehow lets me come out to New Jersey and I get to be on his podcast and, and fish with him for five days and meet everyone out there. And it was just a total dream. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to go back to Nebraska now in December and sit on a bucket over a hole and make videos. Uh, <laughs> on we go. Now what do we do? Like, it's just, yeah, there's, it's just ups and downs, but you, you got to, kind of balance all that to stay sane so how do you stay sane like what are you know you said you've battled depression at times how do you avoid that mm. great question still trying to figure that out <laughs> as we go along um try i don't know i i obviously I, I love my family and try to enjoy my time with them and um the I guess the further I get into it, try to focus a lot of my time there um, and, and kind of stay more even keeled, not not get too high or too low if my views are doing really good or really bad or whatever, just kind of go with the flow. And um, I think doing the tournaments this year, um, obviously fishing the opens is my dream since I was really young. So we're all looking forward to that. And uh, it's something to look forward to, I think, outside of just making content. Yeah. And I think that the it's kind of normal to deal with some of those things because if you look at, you know, it's like being a chef, but you get hundred you beg people to give hundreds of critiques, comments, you know what I mean? And it's we live in a world where people, no matter what you do, good, bad, or indifferent, somebody's gonna point out the things they don't like. Hey, great video. I watched 22 minutes of it and I loved it, but there was that three-minute section when you did this. And it's horrible. Like, it's just people want to point out the negative in it. Do you, how do you deal with comments? Do you, are, are you active with them or how do you, how, what's your outlook on comments? Yeah, comments are tough. I feel like they get tougher all the time. And it, you kind of go to that place where if you put out a good video that you're proud of and you really, I, I or if I put something out, I release a lot of good information and I go through it. Um, I get in that place that we all get into where you don't want to be, where you're just like, 
all right, who's who's saying something bad about this? Scrolling through those comments. Who's talking shit? Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm going to get back to that guy. He's an idiot. And it's just like you can't read. You can't believe the bad comments, and you can't believe the good comments. You just got to stay in the middle, but that's really hard to do. Um, but it's always important to, to give back. Um, and and I, I think replying to as many people as possible has been something that I've done since my channel started that – is extremely important because that goes back to talking about getting more followers. I think as a creator, it's important to not just build the width and, and the growth, but build the depth as well. Building meaningful subscribers and followers is much, much more important than just growing that number because as quick as you're going to go up is as quick as you're going to come back down. Um, so I've kind of tried to build it gradually and um, really build relationships with my, my audience as I've really made this my full-time living. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I think the, the trick at least for me is to realize that it's, you know what I mean? Like people want to get personal, but it's only personal because you're the product. Like if somebody right. says to me, I, I don't like, the lure you used i'm like well that's your opinion you don't have to you know what i mean i, yeah, I evidently exactly. liked it that's why i threw it or uh, i don't like the brand of motor you run that's fine you know i don't care like it, you have to remove yourself but i'm still thankful for those people tuning in and and i i mean i try to keep it very positive and um Sometimes it works, but you're right. It gets, it gets messy. <laughs> yeah. I, I probably have a reputation of being a little bit brash and open occasionally in the, the comments section, but I think people like that. So you got it. You can't just be like, thanks, thumbs up, replying to everyone, because that's not really going to mean anything to anyone anyway. So. Yeah. And, and the, like you said about building the depth of your followers, I think that's one of the greatest things like at a certain point, you get a lot of people sticking up for you. You know what I mean? I've seen it in your Correct. comment yep. section where somebody says something and people will be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, he did this or did, you know, they'll yeah, stand yeah. up for you. Yeah, Let, for sure. Let's go back to when you first started YouTube. Was this the goal? Was it, to, you know, what was the original goal for the first video you posted? Um, honestly, I didn't have any goal. The first video I posted, my wife got me a GoPro, um, for Christmas one year. Cause I thought I'd be cool. It's probably eight, nine years ago. Um, I thought it'd be cool to just record some of my fishing adventures. And I don't yeah. even know why I thought that'd be cool. And I made a couple tip videos randomly. I did like how to repair a broken rod guide and like some like spoon modification tips or something that I was doing. And I posted both of those videos and I didn't look at them on YouTube again for like eight months. I didn't even, I don't like, I was like, I don't know what views or subscribers means. And I went back to them and they had like 50,000 views and I had like a thousand or something subscribers. I was like, I think that's good, but I don't know what that means at all. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's kind of how it, it got started. But then um, I actually found out about some of these guys that were making videos on YouTube fishing wise. And to be completely honest about it, I was like, these guys don't know anything about fishing. I can't believe this many people are actually watching <laughs> their, uh, their videos. Um, and so I did some research on it and found out that there was more than just obviously fishing. This was fishing was kind of late to the party. There's a lot of people making a living on YouTube. Um, and so I was like, all right, well, 
I guess I'll try this. And of course I tried to start in Nebraska in like February and uh, that, and I worked full time. I worked a basic eight to five Monday through Friday job. And so it was fishing on the what weekends. Was your job? What'd you do? Oh, so I got an environmental biology degree and I was actually, I was working um, in like the, the human side of it, which isn't really why I went to school, but it's what job was available. And I had a wife and a house and a kid. And I was like, all right, I need a good damn job, make some money, not just wait tables every night. Um, so uh, I worked in a place. I was a project manager for like asbestos and lead paint removal and stuff like that. So I didn't have to do any of the work. I just, uh, I was a little bit of the manager, did the inspections and stuff. So that was all boring, but um, yeah, that's, that's how I got started really um, just fishing on the weekends. I made like one video a week. Uh, and then that turned into two videos a week and I'd spent way too much time trying to film content um, away from the family and stuff. Cause it was Nebraska in February, March, April. And um, yeah, man, it got to the point where I started to actually get some engagement. A couple of videos did well, um, blasted that. And we'd go down to Texas, drive overnight, Friday night, fish all weekend, drive home overnight Sunday and be at work Monday a few times. And uh, people love those travel videos. And I think it's the same reason they watch a lot of my stuff now is they want to be part of the experience more so than just the successful fishing days or for tips. They wanted to be a part of that. So that's kind of just how it started. And it got to the point where I was like, you know what, I'm making a little bit of money and I'm hardly making any content. If I did this full time, let's, uh, let's see what would happen. And my wife graduated uh, college. And so she started working full time. She's like, all right, let's send it. And uh, thankfully she, she was there to support me and started making more money on YouTube in about a month and a half, two months. So um, I, it was the right choice pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, financial backing will help somebody make a decision in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But you, your channel, I think one of the reasons that you have as strong a following as it is, is it's real. It's, it's very real. You know what I mean? It shows the adventure. And like you said, it, 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 you know, it, you do feel like you're with you. You know what I mean? Like not through, I mean, I know there's people who are like, Oh, everyone's going to feel like they're with me. It's going to be all POV or what, you know, it's just you involved. It's more than just the fishing. It's the, it's the story getting there, the guy that you're fishing with in some situations or, you know, good, bad, and indifferent. When did the addiction to fishing start for you? Obviously long before YouTube. Oh yeah. It was very early. Um, my mom said it was when I was like two years old, which uh, is kind of funny and people think it's ridiculous, but I can't really tell you why, but they, they put a my dad and grandpa always fished. They were big into it, big into the outdoors. So I was raised in the outdoors, but they put a fish around my hand and my mom said like, I'd sit in the bucket with the bobber and just throw a damn fit. If I had to come inside and go to bed, eat, eat lunch, whatever. I don't know why I got so hooked on it. Um, but a big part of it too was, um, very, very competitive person. I played sports growing up. That's really the only thing that took time away from fishing for me, um, was sports. I played four sports in high school. I played baseball in college. Um, but yeah, man, um, just fishing with my friends and my cousins, I always wanted to catch more fish than them. I can remember being three, four five years old and just wanting to catch more. And I usually did cause I just wanted it more and they were chasing girls and want to do water sports and stuff. And I'm like, what time can we get back on the boat? Are you going to be done with the, the, the tubing so we can get that back out there and go drift around in the, the sea ray. Cause that's what we had without a damn trolling motor or anything. That's how I started fishing, you know? So um, yeah, it was from a young age. I was 
hooked for sure. I think that, I mean, and it's the majority of people that find success in this industry. I think like they honestly, like when you talk to them, it's, you realize that fishing is not something they do. It's, it's who they are. You know, it's who they have to, like, there's, I can't not fish. Like if tomorrow fishing became illegal in Ontario, I'd leave. That, that like <laughs> yeah, I'd have to. Definitely. I mean, I wouldn't have a choice. It um so it's just I, I don't know where that comes from, but I think it we all have it. You know what I mean? Like it, it, and I look at my brothers and sisters who were exposed to fishing just as much as me, but it was never their thing. It was just something that they kind of did at times, but it but for me, it was always like I need to fish. Do you have a fish catch like in your mind? Do you have one in your head that you were like? that was the one that got me addicted to this. I, I don't have a juicy story like that, man. I just, I've, oh, I've loved sucks. it for as long as I can remember. I know it's not exciting at all. The <laughs> one that stands out to me most though, the fishing experience that stands out was I was uh, a freshman in college at university of Nebraska, Lincoln. And I, my buddy, Tony, I threw a Nebraska fishing forum. He said, I'm starting to, a uh, college fishing team in Nebraska, you should come to the meeting. And so I went to the meeting and we're like, all right, this is cool. There's like four or five of us. This is right when college fishing pretty much started. It'd been around for like one or two years. And he's like, all right, you, Ben, you're going to this tournament. And I was like, deal, man, I'm, I'm competitive. This is great. I should be able to win because I fish forever. This is easy. Um, <laughs> so we show up to the tournament. It's at Dardanelle in Arkansas. And I've never fished a lake bigger than like two or 3000 acres in my life. And they just, they gave us a loaner boat. We've neither of us have ever driven a bass boat before. <laughs> and we, it was, it was, you know, it was spring. The highs were like 55, 60. So we had like a pair of sweatpants and a long sleeve t-shirt. Uh, and it rained the whole time and we froze. We were miserable and we didn't catch a fish. And I was just got home from that. And it was kind of like that moment. I think we all have to decide with ice fishing, like, okay, I did this once and failed miserably. I'm either never going to do it again, or I have to spend every dollar I have making this experience better. And without question, I was like, I'm never letting that happen again. And I'm doing it as soon as possible. And uh, I, I haven't looked back since then, man. I've been obsessed with the tournament stuff since then. So you, you, I mean, you're outside of competing in tournaments this year. You've been a tournament fan your whole, like, when did you get into being a fan of tournaments? Yeah, so I was a fan of tournaments probably since I was in high school. Of course, I was in Nebraska, like I said. So the tournament culture and, and really the bass fishing culture isn't huge. There's actually a surprising amount of bass fishermen in Nebraska. I mean, the state tournament generally draws 150 to 250 boats. Um, so not tiny. Of course, we have to have it down in Missouri because there's no good sized reservoirs in Nebraska, which is kind of silly. But um, yeah, there there isn't really a lot of people from Nebraska. Denny Brower or Bauer is the only one that really comes to mind. And so um, that that kind of was tough growing up there without a major tournament culture. But I followed it, fought along, got in college, started the tournament thing, and then I really dove into it. And ever since then, man, I've been fishing a lot of local stuff and then state stuff, regional stuff. But, um, yeah, that kind of culminates with really chasing my dream of having a job in the, the fishing industry. Um, the YouTube route is what I ended up doing, but I want to fish tournaments professionally was my goal. And so I'm excited to finally be able to do that this year. How old are you? I'm 33. 
So, yeah, and I think you commented this at one point, but Denny Brower started at 33 years old. Yep. So are you the second coming of Denny Brower? <laughs> I'd say our uh, our fishing styles are slightly different and um, our, our success level in the industry are slightly different as well. So, I mean, I guess we're both from Nebraska and started when we were 33, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, but that's, I mean, honestly, when people hear that, um, I think a lot of people are shocked that Denny, you know, Denny Brower, you just figure, oh, he's just done it since he was 20. But to hear that he didn't start till he was 33, like you realize, like if he just started a little earlier, just how many more titles could he have won? Yeah, um, for sure. But that's got to be a great motivator for you. I mean, you look at the mark that Denny Brower left on tournament fishing, you got a ton of time left. That's true. A lot of guys start later on. I mean, there's a story after story of people starting in the 30s, 40s, even 50s. Um, that's the cool thing about our sport. You're not, you're not aged like every other major professional sport with, uh, your, your, your time. So you're fishing all nine opens with 175 other guys trying to make it to the Bassmaster elite series. There's nine births. What's the goal this year outside of winning every tournament and making the elite series, like for you to walk away from this year and be like, that was a success. Or can you not tell me that now? Um, I, I think that it's going to, it's kind of, I'm going to take a tournament by tournament. Yeah. Obviously, um, I truthfully, the way I fish, um, I'm not good at catching small fish. I've realized that the last year or so, um, I'm not trying to sound arrogant when I say that or something, but I literally fished two, two tournaments last weekend. And I caught first day, I caught, uh, seven to eight and nine in the first two hours of the tournament. And then I could not fill my damn limit with four pounders. Finally did at the last hour of the day. And then the next day at the same lake, I caught a seven and an 11 and a half. And then I had to scrap up the last hour to, to catch small ones. But I'll be happy if that would ever happen in the opens. But what I'm saying is, man, like I, I, uh, I'm going to take it tournament by tournament. Obviously, if I bomb the first couple, then I'm definitely going to try to win one because the classic is such a huge um, goal of mine. But obviously, I need to understand the points are the most important thing because I want to be on the elite series. Um, I want to be at the top level for sure. So I would be disappointed if I didn't qualify, I guess, um, just as a competitor, I think you have to have that mindset. I don't expect yeah. to, because this is the toughest, um, field of opens maybe that's ever been, um, with, with guys that are trying to qualify for the elites anyways, with that many guys competing against each other for, for nine places. Um, but everyone wants to, everyone wants to win them all and wants to qualify, of course. So we'll just kind of see how it goes. I think that's a healthy attitude though. Like I, I think it, number one, it's weird how and the fishing industry is so weird that way where it's like, if you say like you had to say right after you said, I, I, I'm not going to catch smaller ones. I know that sounded arrogant. Like you have to preference everything, but I mean, you played baseball. I'm sure there's plenty of players that are like, man, I hit dingers and you yep, never were, definitely. you never were like, <laughs> of course, that's what you're here to do or a pitcher. You know what I mean? I strike people out. That's what, you, but in fishing, yep. why are we so timid? Do you think it's, it, do you think it's, the four letter word named luck that we're worried that we'll swing it on the wrong side of things. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I know you guys, you and Maddie talked about that last week. Everyone's just worried because there's so many factors with our sport that you can't control. 
Um, so a guy like Kevin Van Dam can have the greatest run ever over 15 years and then not win a tournament for several years or have a really a good finish or a great finish for his standards. Um, and you can look at him like, well, he's done, but he's not. It's just just how things are, you know. Um, yeah, I would say it's definitely luck. Um, people are superstitious, obviously. They don't want to jinx themselves. I don't want to come on Dave Mercer's podcast and tell people I'm the best live scoper and swim bait fisherman in the country and go out and get 192nd place the first four tournaments in the opens, you know, so. But that doesn't mean you're not the best live scoper in the country. I mean, that just means that that wasn't, but I get it. I mean, I get it. Yeah. Trust me. I yeah. mean, I, every day before I walk on stage <laughs> at a way and I say, I'm going to go F this up. <laughs> like I literally, <laughs> it, it, but we're all weirdos. Are you superstitious at all? I try not to be, but. Okay, you got any? Got any? Oh, there's a there's one or two pairs. I have a couple pairs of underwear with bass on them that seems like every time I get cocky and wear them, I don't catch anything. So I try <laughs> to stay away from those, um, which is pretty easy to do. I mean, I got other pairs of underwear I can wear, <laughs> so that's good. Um, <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, I've gotten to the point now where I really try to not look at much. I, I like to look at like if it's going to rain or not, which will affect how I can film. Um, with my camera gear besides yeah. that man it's like every truth that i've heard or learned about every weather condition pre-front post-front moon phase moon set moonrise sunrise which bait works in this condition i've pretty much proven right or wrong every every single yeah. one that there is and so it's like i just go out and i watch my screen and see what the fish are doing and um if they're not eating that bait then i'll try a different one yeah, I mean that, and that's it's confusing. <laughs> but it's also how the most successful tournament anglers are. You know, long term people try to put it in boxes. Like I'm going to do this, I'm going to hit this spot, and then this spot, and this spot. But the most successful tournament anglers, sure, they have a rotation in their head or a thought process, but literally, that can change totally. You know, at the drop, they see one little sign that it's going a different way, and they can change things totally. And that honestly does seem to be i mean if you look at all the angler of the years that i've been lucky enough to watch on the water it's it's that split that's what it is that's a difference it's that split second decision making it's 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 almost not a decision it's like they know you know what i mean like they, they don't say i wonder if they're on that point they're just like they're on that point boom and they hit that point and most times they are on that point yep. so why would you've got incredible success in um in YouTube, in the fishing industry with many different brands, why would you go screw it all up and start fishing tournaments? It's because of a childhood <laughs> dream. <laughs> there you go. That's why. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. To put it simple, um, I want to challenge myself. I've I've wanted to I wanted to fish professionally, um, tournament wise growing up and all through college. And then I got a real job and realized that. In real jobs, you can't take off five, six, seven, eight, ten weeks of work off every single year. Um, and so fishing the Toyotas or the Opens or whatever ever starts, whatever the FLW was, uh, which was is the only route to go professional um, to the top level and really make enough money to be able to fish professionally, especially for you're from Nebraska. Yeah. You don't have Sam Rayburn and Toledo Bend like I have down here. Um, that's the only way you can make a living. Um, and so... I was pretty bummed for a while because I didn't, I was like, all right, I got to figure out a different way to do this 
to, to accomplish my dream of, of fishing professionally. And now, of course, I do fish professionally. Um, I just make my money through the promotional YouTube side of things. But that doesn't mean that uh, the competitiveness went away. And I always want to challenge myself. And I'm taking on probably the big, not probably, definitely the biggest challenge of my life by uh, doing this, which uh, is terrifying, but could not be more exciting to me. I don't want to sit back and say, and goes back to reading comments, but I can go catch as many 10 pounders as I want. But in the back of my head, I'm like, well, if Brandon Palinick was here, would he be able to catch as many 10 pounders as I am doing the same thing I'm doing? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know, but there's only one way to really prove yourself um, in a level playing field, level playing field. Yeah. Uh, and that is through tournaments. So, yeah, I think you're in a weird spot though, too. Like uh, you're not going to, I mean, I think you're a very experienced angler and I think you have quite a bit of tournament experience. It might not be opens, but you fished a bunch of tournaments in your life and you understand it. But I also think it's almost unfair at times when somebody like you tries to do this because you don't, you know what I mean? Like on day one of the weigh-ins, you don't get to show up as some dude, Ben Milliken that nobody knows, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's people, yeah. there's people checking the standings literally Where's Ben? Where did he finish? You know what I mean? Like, yep. does that pressure concern you or are you able to kind of block all of that out? Yeah, it concerns me. Definitely. I'd be lying if I said it didn't concern me. Um, but I, I'm not going to look at this year like if I have a bad tournament or a bad season, um, worrying about what other people think um, about how I finished or how good of a fisherman I am, because, you know, as well as I do, really good fishermen can have terrible years and decent fishermen can get on a roll and have phenomenal seasons. Um, doesn't usually work like that, but, um, people can have bad tournaments. Does it, it's not a, uh, there's a lot of outside factors like we just talked about. So I'm, I'm going to have to definitely try to harness that and, um, just keep my, my head down and stay focused. Yeah. But I think that's also what's commendable about what you're doing. You know what I mean? It's, it's, here's a way to make them even harder. You know what I mean? Be a guy yeah. who's got, got a target painted on his back from some folks. You know what I mean? I don't mean that in a bad way, but it just, you're one of the names when you read through and people are like, I wonder how Ben's going to do this year, but you didn't build a giant YouTube channel and a giant following by worrying about what other people said. I mean, you did it by your, you know, being yourself. Yeah, correct. Um, I think anybody that's successful in this industry has had moments where they just do not care what other people think, because if you, you're successful at anything, you can't, you can't worry about that, especially when you are the sole person responsible for your, your income through your own business. Um, you cannot worry about that. Uh, so that's kind of the, the route I've taken, but it, it does. I mean, it's something to think about. It's in the back of your head. Like, I got a lot of people watching. I'm trying to keep things on the down low. Honestly, I'm not trying to run my mouth or say I'm going to do anything in any tournament. I just want to go out and fish and um, let the rod and reel do the talking. So we'll hopefully be able to do that. What's your biggest concern going into the season? Um, biggest concern is probably, um, I don't know. I don't really have one, to be honest. That's good. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I guess um, I don't fish a lot of giant reservoirs. I live next to Rayburn and Toledo, but there's about 20 other lakes around here that are substantially better and easier to figure out. So just as someone that makes content, um, why would I go try to figure out those lakes for four or five days that are giant and not as good? So 
um, I guess breaking down bigger bodies of water, which I have all over the country, but that's not something I do often, but I have four and a half days of practice. So I'm not too worried about that, but yeah, I don't have a lot of, a lot of worries about it, I guess. I'm just going to go do what I do. Speaking of content, is this, is this a content generation move for you as well? Or, or are you just going to fish tournaments and not focus on the content at this point? I guess that now that you say that, that might be my biggest, my biggest worry is kind of balancing all that because my camera guy is traveling with me. We're going to have camera boats um, every tournament. So we're going to be able to really try to document that. Um, So balancing that, um, getting important uh, content of how my, my day went when I come home and it was a terrible day. And I just want to say F you to my camera guy, I got to be able to actually talk and share that moment because that's really the the part that people want to see, I think is after you get off the water, the Airbnb you're staying in, what baits you're tying on, how you felt after you caught 12 pounds when you were positive, you were going to catch 22 um, and how disappointed you are or what fish you lost. Or when you have those great moments too, people want to see that and your, your excitement, they want to be along with the journey. There's so much content out there now, people catching fish and now tournament fishermen, setting the hook and catching fish and finishing 23rd out of 178 that it's like that part isn't that exciting for people. I don't think anymore. They want to see the real stuff. I mean, 99% of people financially time-wise skill-wise can't go out and fish nine opens. And so they want to follow along because they're huge fans of the sport and see what that's all about. So hopefully we can provide that for people. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, there's a there's a lot of tournament content out there right now. And and like so much so that I, I often question, I'm like, is this even work? You know what I mean? In some ways, like, is this even working? Like there's you saw that there was a handful of people doing it at one time, and now it seems like almost every tournament angler yep. has to do it in some regard, whether whether it be you know, them doing it themselves with just a GoPro or them, you know, the amount of little dudes that run up and down the dock at elite series events. I'm like, who's that guy? Well, he's filming for this person and this person. It's amazing. It's kind of cool to see the industry that it's, you know, developed into. And like all of these folks are getting a job. It's not just the tournament anglers. All of these dudes and dudettes are are getting a job through this. So it's cool to see Yeah. It is cool. Um, it's always good to see the industry evolve. I think it's important for the consumer and the fan of the sport that the consumer isn't going to put up with Mike Iaconelli having a Berkeley logo on his jersey and go buy Berkeley products anymore. And they're not going to put up with Brett Height making a video saying, I like to use a 3 ounce jackhammer chatterbait because it's the best one on the market. And that's what I used in this tournament. Whether he did or not, people aren't going to They don't want to see that, and that's not going to influence them generally to buy the product. They want to see it in action. They want to see the baits that are working. Um, And so what better way to do that than to uh, be able to see what people are using in tournaments? And that's what live's been awesome for as well, obviously. It's changed the sport. Yeah, I think what live, I use the example all the time. I'm like, you know, live just showed the climb, which is, which is exactly what you're talking about. People want to see behind the scenes. They want to see what really happens, but I've, I've used Aaron on Chesapeake when Aaron Martin's won there. I mean, everybody watched all morning. And in the past, Bassmaster shows were incredible. I mean, it's what addicted me to the industry. I'm sure a big part of you, every all of us, you know what I mean? We all watched that. But it was a highlight show. Like you'd see an angler 
go fishing. There's one, there's one, there's one. They go weigh them in, they hold the trophy, but you don't really see the struggle. And that Chesapeake tournament was the one that like, I mean, there's been lots of them, but that one really stood out because all morning, everybody was like, Aaron's going to collapse. Like it's another one of those. Aaron gets to the finish line and something goes wrong. Then he catches a seven pounder. Then he catches another one, another one. Then he's giving baits away to kids. And he's just, you're just seeing how amazing of a person he is too along the way. But you, the reason it's that seven pounder was so amazing to watch is because all morning you thought, oh no, I'm watching a train wreck happen here. So I think it's made it realistic. Like, you know, where people see what really happens. Yep, definitely. It's same thing as when we make a, a YouTube video or go out and uh, for a day of fishing, you see the final 10 to 25 minute product of this uh, catch after catch on these baits, but you never saw the not getting a bite for five hours before that and breaking your rods and line and losing fish and everything else. So yeah, it makes it more real. And that's what people like. Why do you think your channel is what your channel is there's a lot of fishing dudes that you know some of them really know what they're talking about some of them don't know what they're talking about but there is a lot of fishing channels why is yours why were you able to achieve the amount of success that you have been uh well from the start it it hurt me to be from nebraska because there's not a lot of great bass fishing but it helped me to be from that area because i was able to create a lot of different types of content yeah. And that's what I grew up doing. So I, I grew up fishing for all different species. We ate everything, not everything, everything that was legal or whatever that we, we wanted to with the dad, let me take home, you know, you're a six year old and you're just begging dad to take that bluegill home. Cause you want to eat it. Um, but uh, I, I grew up fishing for multi-species and then I got really focused for like 10 years on bass fishing and tournament fishing and forgot everything else existed. Well, when I started that YouTube channel, I saw all these different types of content. I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll get back into that a little bit. And it really, I enjoyed how much fun it was to catch these other species, especially, you know, catching big catfish and stuff like that was super fun. But I think when we get too dialed into the tournament bass fishing side of things, we forget how small of a fraction of yeah. the entire industry that really is. Um, not that many people can go spend $100,000 on a boat uh, and go fishing every single weekend or multiple days a week at that even. Uh, with super expensive rods and reels and baits and everything else, gas money that goes into that. So I fished a lot of different types of content, a ton of different bodies of water. And I saw how successful that was because it appealed to a really wide audience of people. Um, and then I kind of really grew my channel that way. And now I've kind of selfishly been focusing specifically on the big bass because it's hard for me to want to go out and catch you know, 10, 12 pounders on live scope and record live scope footage and show people footage that's really never been documented ever in the history of fishing. And then the next day I go make a bluegill fishing video with a night crawler in my backyard pond and be like, all right, today's, uh, we're going to switch it up a little bit. Uh, tomorrow we're going to have the 14 pound bass, but today we're catching bluegill. It's hard for me to do that now. <laughs> so, um, so I've kind of selfishly, I guess, kind of done that in, in, in the last few years, really moving down here to Texas, which we did about uh, almost two years ago now. Um, that uh, has really allowed me to focus my time honing my craft and really prepare for these tournaments. How much has the big bass bonanza that is Texas helped your channel or hurt your channel? 
I mean, like I said, it's probably hurt it, honestly, the growth of it, uh, because I focused a lot on just bass fishing. When if I focused on other things, I'd be able to easily get a lot more followers and stuff. Um, But it it can't hurt that I'm doing what people want to watch a lot of times down here. It's been pretty cool to see what's happened the last few years, I guess. Yeah, very, very cool. I mean, (laughs) it's... uh it's literally a perfect storm type thing, it, but I would, all, I'm almost worried in some ways that like he could hurt it to the point that like people are used to seeing you catch double digit bass. And when you go and catch a six pounder, that's a nice fish anywhere <laughs> else in the country. But, but your viewer is so there's so many, I mean, I will say this, I would say, I think I'd watched your channel for that uh, probably three or four years but the amount of pros and people that that mentioned your channel to me with that, I mean, it, you definitely turned a lot of heads doing what you guys have done. Um, and obviously, you know, I don't know where where do you consider yourself on the OHIV thing? Are are, I mean, I, you might not say about yourself, but you freaking cracked the nut. Like, I mean, that was that's what got it out there, correct or? Yeah, we were uh, accidental nutcrackers for sure on that one. <laughs> That's a pretty crazy story. Uh, you probably don't got time for it, but I can tell it if you want. Always have time for it. Well, we it was that major ice yeah. storm, snowmageddon, uh, got down below zero in Texas for like three days, and the apocalypse happened down here. I think that was when I lived in Nebraska, though, so we had a trip to film content down in choke canyon in south texas actually planned for like months in advance with six cents um and so we we're gonna meet a bunch of guys and um down down in choke canyon but we wanted to fish somewhere on the way down there because those guys couldn't leave houston because the roads were all closed and you couldn't get gas the gas stations were closed couldn't buy anything there's no electricity nothing so i was like all right well we're not going to wait. We took work off. Like they, my buddy took work off and I was fishing. I was like, I got to make content. So we're like, we're coming down. And so we're, we were going to hit a couple lakes on the way down and we didn't see open water in Texas or on the drive down until we got like midway through Texas, even Lake Fork had several inches of ice, wow. um, which is wild. So we, uh, we get down there and we're driving through like Oklahoma and I'm like, we'll just hit some of the power plant lakes. Cause it's hot water. They'll be good. But so I call them and, and somehow someone answered it at like all of them. And they're like, yeah, we're, we're closed. It's not safe for people to be out driving. You're not coming here to fish. We're closed. He's like, all right, that's not good. Uh, and then OHIV is just a lake that I had received a message about months before, along with, the other thousands of lakes people tell me to go fish because it's the best lake in the country. But some guy said that we've been catching 25 to 30 pound limits in our local tournaments at and occasional 10 pounders. So I was like, all right, let's head that direction of Dallas. And maybe on the way down, we'll find open water. And luckily when we got to the ramp, it was the first lake we saw the entire drive that didn't have ice on it. Um, And it was like, 10, eight, 10 degrees and windy when we got there. The water was like 35 degrees. And um, man, we we took put the boat in, didn't even put it on plane because I was worried about the engine not being warm enough. I just idled out to the first thing that looked like a place to a fish would hold on and um started seeing blobs on the screen. And I thought they were carp or something. And we 
fire the A-Rig out, backlash, because all our rod guides are frozen after the first cast. And I was like, okay, well, we can't use that. And so I pick up a spinning rod because the guides are big enough. You can cast more than once. And I had a little, like, 2.8 swim bait on a little jig head, and I hooked the first fish, uh, and I fought it forever. It was like a nine-pound largemouth. I was like, well, there's that's incredible. There's no way that the rest of these are bass, and they were all bass. Uh, and so I caught, like, I don't even know, eight or ten more because it was so cold. It was, like, impossible to cast or do anything. But I caught eight or ten more. Um, biggest one was like 10 pounds. And then the next day we went out there, we had that 60 pound limit, um, with the 16 pounder and, uh, we didn't want to wreck the lake and blow it out. So we wanted to get the official weight on Joe's fish. He caught after I'd caught two 12 pounders and he caught a 16. I had never caught a 10 pounder before. And I caught two 12s in a half hour. Really? Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> Yeah, we, we even tied up a double A rig because we had been fishing all morning and we caught like 50 fish, but nothing over like seven or eight pounds. So we went to another spot. This was all the first spot the second wow. day too, we had gone back. So we go to another spot that looked good and I tie on a, I was like, all right, we got a, we got enough fish for a video. Let's make a second video. And I was like, I'll tie you up a double Alabama rig to my buddy. I was like, that'll make a good thumbnail. And so I tie it up for him and it took me forever and so I was like, dude, you got to let me throw it one time on your rod. And so I throw it out once at a fish and one bumped it on the way. I was like, oh my God. So the next cast, I was, I was like, I got to throw it one more time. So I throw it again. I caught a 12 pounder on it. Um, yeah, it was crazy. So anyway, so we cut it, catch us end of the night. I'm not even fishing anymore. I'm drinking beers and the whiskey sitting back in the back of the boat. My camera guy and Joe are fishing. He hooks a 16 pounder. We get it in. We're freaking out. And it's getting dark and there's no one's open. There's no reception. It's snow Mageddon, ice Mageddon, whatever. We can't even get a hold of anybody. So we go to the, there's a guy that was sitting in the parking lot, happened to be the owner of the local marina up there. He's like, oh yeah, we got a scale here if you want to weigh it. Well, it turns out the guy like posted on, on Facebook like seconds after to the Texas fishing page, which has yeah. like tens of thousands of people. And so we were like keeping on the DL and not even telling our friends. And they're all just start, as soon as we get back in reception, they're blowing us up about it. We're like, how the hell did you even find out? But um, we didn't even want to turn into the share longer program because we didn't want the lake to get a lot of pressure. So we go down to, to release his fish and it kicks off strong and floats back up to the surface. And we're like, oh my God, we can't let this fish die. So we go get it, try to revive it again at the dock, hold on, hold on to it kicks off strong, floats back up. We're like, oh, shit, this isn't good. Well, we're not turning this fish loose like, and letting it die. Yeah. And we're, we're going down to Choke Canyon that night. So we're like, we'll hold on to it and try to get hold of the Texas Parks and Wildlife on the way down. So we get an hour down the road to where we get some phone. So you're reception. driving around with a 16-pounder in your live well. Correct. <laughs> so, yeah. We're like, well, it's gonna die if we release it. So we gotta do something with it. Like we at least get a mount of it if it's gonna die. Yeah. And so and so we, we finally get to where we got reception in Texas Parks and Wildlife. Um, they uh they answer their phone and they're like, All right, we'll get you the share longer guy's number. And we talk to them and they're like, well, you left the, the lake and we aren't really available to travel right now. Can you bring it to our facility? And it was like three and a half hours away. 
And so we're like, all right. So we drove three and a half hours and they were able to, uh, we get there and they're able to revive the fish, put it in like this crazy, they, they all, all the biological stuff, yeah. put in salt water and all types of crazy stuff to bring it back. And yeah, she's still alive and good to go. Well, of course they post online about the lake and, um, next thing you know, it's two days later, a lake that has never seen forward facing sonar or really any fishing pressure in a very long time has 700, 800 boats at it. And it's, uh, I mean, it's a 15,000 acre lake. It's not a big body of water. Most of it's dead water. Um, and it's obvious what part's not very good. Uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's gotten pounded since then and kind of created the old forward facing, um, giant bass craze out there. Here's the only part that confused me. Why the hell were you going to choke? Like, why were you, I, I get it. Great I mean, you... question. <laughs> Great question. Only reason we were going out there was because, so we, we stayed at the hotel, the only place to stay there, a motel, and they had no running water and no uh, electricity. <laughs> and so you can imagine the toilet not being able to flush and stuff like that. Oh, and uh, yeah, it was, it was not pleasant. And Casey, the six cents owner, he had a cabins book for all of us down at choke and we heard choke was good too, but we're like, we'll fish at choke for a day or two, but we had the week off. He had the week off my buddy Joe. So like, we're going back to Ivy after a couple of days of filming content. And uh, we did that. And, uh, but man, by the time we got back there, it was still really good. Um, but there was a million boats. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine. I do regret. I do regret leaving that, though. I mean, uh, to be honest, I regret leaving without question. I don't <laughs> care where you got to poop. <laughs> well, I mean, and I think that, like, did when you left that day, did you, did you have any idea what you had uncovered? You know what I mean? Like, when you look at what no. it is now and all of the share lunkers that have come from there. Did you guys just think that, hey, man, we had a couple of good days where we hammered them, or did you realize what was there at that point? I mean, we realized what was there, but I didn't realize, I guess, even in all my trips down to Texas and seeing all the pressure and seeing all the boats, I didn't realize how much people, like, would just completely leave the place they go every day on one side of the state and be like, I don't care about finding fish or learning how to fish in my fisheries. I just want to go where that guy caught a big fish. I'm going to fish there every day. And all these guides are going to be like, oh, okay. Well, people want to go there. I'm going to move my entire business there, no matter where I'm located, and be one of the 20 guides there, whatever there is now, full-time that fish there every day and post every day about how great the lake is. So. No, I did not realize that that would be the case, Dave, or uh, I would have not, we would have not even gone to the damn gas station, marina, whatever it was. Yeah. And I mean, a 16, I mean, it was a 16 pounder, I think that turned a lot of people's, you know what I mean? Like if it yeah, was yeah. a 13, that happens, but a yep, 16 yep. is so rare. Um, yeah, it was so the when, top uh, 20 bass in history in Texas. Yeah. 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 And that's your buddy, Joe. Is that Zerk? That's Zark, yeah. Zark, Zark. Yeah. I, all I know is I made a song about you guys once on, when <laughs> I used did, to do the FYI yeah. show. Yep. <laughs> Here's a story about a guy named Milliken who was fishing. I'll, I'll, I'll stop. You can go back and watch it if you want. Um, not you, but other people. Um, no, I think what you guys on Earth is one of the most incredible things. I think it's happening for a lot of reasons. Is it, how is that viewed amongst the locals? Like, are you the 
freaking mayor of that part of the world or are you an outlaw? <laughs> Um, most, uh, almost all, I think everyone that's cool with it now, honestly, um, as, as the economy has boomed, it was a ghost town when we yeah. went there. Like we were the only boat on the lake for the first two days. There was another boat. Um, and it, I mean, it would have stayed that way. There might've been one or two or three local boats out on a weekend, but yeah, um, they're, they're happy. The economy's going crazy. The, uh, that same guy that owns that, uh, that Marina is now one of our biggest brick and mortar, um, carriers of six cents fishing. It's a massive tackle shop. Now, um, there's many homes and many houses that have popped up as Airbnbs and all these resorts and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, selfishly, obviously you're like, I want to kick back some of that, <laughs> but um, what do you do? It's, it's, it's crazy. It's cool. in in a sense, it, as someone that's big on like learning your body of water and actually learning how to fish and not just seeing where people caught fish and flooding their fishery, I think it's kind of lame. Um, but seeing how it's helped a lot of people's lives, I can't say it's a bad thing. Is that the worst thing about social media? Like there's a lot and I don't get it. I mean, I've never watched, I swear to you, I've never watched a video and been like, where are they? Never mind what they're doing. Let me see. Is that the worst thing about fishing? Because I, I mean, and I never caught a 16 pounder did any, but I look at some of the areas that I've fished over the years on shows and stuff. And it's almost like you're selling it. You know what I mean? Like if it, if it's good, it's going to get dusted by somebody who watches shows and, and YouTube for that very reason. Yeah, it's rough. Um, that's all there is to say about it, really. It's too bad that it happens. Um, but it's it's become one of the worst things, I think, about yeah. posting content. I uh, my, my camera guy is phenomenal. And we skimp on so many good content opportunities with drone footage and uh, just B-roll and stuff where it gives away where we're at simply because for that reason. Um, and there's only a, a limited, especially down here in Texas, man, everyone and their mom's got a bass boat and fishes. And so it's like, there's only so many fisheries that are decent. And there's a reason that half the guides at Lake Fork left and ran their business to OH Ivy because lakes don't stay good forever. Um, and you got to strike while the iron's hot, I guess, if that's your, your means of business, it sucks for someone like me that kind of was one of the first or the first that really did it there and could have kept it to myself. But it is what it is i guess that's part of our job dave yeah yeah you're, you're selling it i feel the same way to tournaments you got to accept that like you want a tournament on it or you you sold your spot it sucks but it's it's how it works i mean if you if you never posted on youtube if you never fished a tournament chances are with you know nobody would have ever known you know what i mean or if, yeah yeah but um Nah, it, I used to laugh at the guys who like blurred out their background. I'd be like, really? You think people are going to your spot? Like you really think people, it turns yeah. out those guys were geniuses. <laughs> yeah. That's a big thing. <laughs> so how often do you go back there now? Um, I honestly, like I try not to, um, I went there too much last winter. I, I made like three trips there, uh, for like two or three days a piece. And you got to hit it at the right time. Now with all the pressure, it's only good for a few days of the month. Um, but I went there this fall and I, I had a 54 pound limit. So that was pretty cool. It was like the biggest solo limit ever caught on film besides our 60 limit. Um, so that was awesome. But I mean, 
no, I try to do stuff at new bodies of water. There's several other good fisheries down here. You got a better chance of catching a giant one there, but I, I think it's cooler to catch them places that are, uh, I don't know, newer that no one's heard about. So I spend the majority of my time there. I haven't been there since October. So since you cracked that nut, is your goal like I need to? I mean, obviously you're focused on tournament fishing, but I think outside of that, you'd be like, "There's got to be more OHIVs out there that are just waiting to be discovered." <laughs> yeah, I spend some of my time doing that for sure, looking around, trying to figure stuff out. So I'm always going to new bodies of water. I think there's a lot of fisheries in the South in general that are not in Texas that um, have that potential more so than in Texas at this point because of all the fishermen down here. Um, and I've kind of figured that out. I've fished a couple of phenomenal fisheries in a couple neighboring states, we'll say, uh, as of late. Um, so that's been great. Um, but yeah, man, like I'm so focused on the tournament stuff right now. Like I stopped using the net the last month uh, for the opens, which is fun. I lift a 14 pounder the other day and put it in the live well. I was like, wow, that's a giant one. It's over 10 pounds. <laughs> Went back to fishing and I weighed it later and it was 14. I was like, oh, I, was, I probably should have been more excited about that one on film. But <laughs> honestly, man, everything I'm doing right now, I'm just like trying to focus and, and really get sharpened up um, for the first open that you follow. Yeah. And I think the no net thing is a bit like, that's the number one thing. When, when we had all the dudes coming over from FLW, I would ask them like at the end of their first season, like what, what was the biggest difference in the elites? And they're like, it's the net. It's not using like the amount of fish that you can net with ease. And it just, it just takes away so much of the fight. And mm -hmm. you know, it, that, that takes a lot of getting used to. So, um, Definitely, especially smallmouth. Uh, it's different oh, yeah. when you can grab a, a 10 pounder's mouth. Um, but yeah, those smallmouth, especially in the big water or, or something else, that'll be that'll take some getting used to for sure. Yeah, it, it, I, I think you'll figure it out. I mean, dude, all yeah. it takes is, is work. I mean, that's yeah. really that's you know how to catch fish, patience. Yeah, and you I'm just an gotta athlete, Dave. I'll, I'll figure it out. All yeah, you do is scoop it up. Yeah, well, simple, <laughs> easy. That's right. <laughs> the one thing that floats around all the time, and I and I've kind of told you what I think about it, but the whole YouTubers versus tournament anglers, I think most of that war was manufactured. Like I don't know a lot of tournament anglers that were like, "Who are those YouTubers?" And I know zero YouTubers were like, "Who the hell are those tournament anglers?" Most of the YouTubers in general. Look up to the tournament anglers in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? They, they watch the tournaments. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think a lot of it's manufactured for sure. But I think also like the YouTubers never necessarily hated the tournament fishermen as much as they had disregard and frustration with the, the fishing industry and brands maybe not understanding their value five, six years ago back when the YouTube fishermen scene kind of got started and started to get popular where they knew their value or they were moving a lot of products for these companies. And then we'd read, not we, but the guys that did YouTube full-time would reach out to these companies and they'd be like, we don't have any budget for you. You just make videos. You don't fish any tournaments. And so the tournament guys or YouTube guys are like, what the hell is that all about? You know, like this, this guy with a Jersey that has a logo on it. You think he's moving any product? Here's tangible evidence. We have all these actual numbers of how much product we're moving but then i'm looking on the other side of things i think the the tournament guys absolutely hated the youtube guys because once things started to really change in the industry where 
the, the YouTube guys started taking a ton of that market share in the last like two, three, four years where the, the company started to see how much product they're moving and started to shift their marketing that direction. Um, the tournament guys started to say, well, this kid doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. I don't care if he has 500,000 views every video. I'm a tournament guy. I've been doing this my whole life to catch bass. I know what I'm talking about. Why are you spending your money on this freaking kid? So it's an interesting uh, evolution in our sport for sure. Um, that is going to keep going that way, I think. But like we talked about before, those same guys that were cussing the, the YouTube guys that are tournament fishermen now have YouTube channels. It seems like everyone's putting out video content. Well, that's that's the ultimate payback you know like if you felt bad about whatever was happening before well guess what if you win tournaments your sponsors still say to you now well yeah but you need to get a presence on on youtube what do you yeah. think the future of youtube is well i don't think it's going anywhere i've had no. people since i started doing youtube they're like you realize like this is just a an app like this is this is the thing that's gonna go away like i don't get it as much anymore but i used to get that all the time from the start like what are you going to do when the YouTube thing is not a thing anymore? Um, that's not going to happen. I don't think it's going to continue growing. Um, so yeah, I think, I think having a video presence is super important, obviously, just like we were talking about before the consumer is not simply happy with you wearing a, a logo on your Jersey anymore and just going out and buying a product for that reason. So you're going to continue seeing that it, it's obviously important for uh uh, influencers and tournament fishermen alike to um, expand across every platform. So you got to be willing to change and not get too set in your ways because the people that were super serious about MySpace uh, are no longer around that said, Oh, Facebook's not going to be anything. YouTube's not going to be anything. So it could definitely, YouTube could go away because of a better platform. I don't see it happening, but there's always new opportunities out there that I think everyone needs to have their eyes open for. And it's not TikTok. <laughs> I, I i agree I, I mean i i would see it and some people are going to get mad when i say this i think it is more realistic to imagine a world without television than it is to oh, imagine yeah. a future without youtube i mean it, it's google right i mean it, it's it is it's the second largest search platform in the yeah. world and to google and they they are so nimble in how they can react. I mean, if you look at what they've done to TikTok, really with shorts, like I mean, shorts is their answer to TikTok. But now they've monetized all the shorts creators, and nobody on TikTok's making any of that kind of money. So it's I mean, it's they're they're able to adapt, and ultimately, I think at the end of the day, people will always want content. They just want it in their hand. You know what I mean? They yeah, don't, they yeah, don't need definitely. to go somewhere. They want to have that content delivered to them and whatever that means may be, whether it be YouTube or whatever. I, I, and I think YouTube, I mean, they're just so big and so like, I mean, in 10, in not even 10 years, like if you think about it, if you ask kids and this is a true stat, I don't know where I got it from, but the number one job that a kid wants to do right now. And I think this is a little messed up in the world. If you, Kids want to be Definitely. YouTubers. Yep. They, they don't, kids don't want to have a TV show. They want to be YouTubers. It, it's, uh, it's wild how quick it's changing. Um, were you, your success on YouTube, was that a direct result of you being a mastermind or was that a direct result of you <laughs> being like, uh, that's where I can put my content? Uh, honestly, like I'm not saying I'm smarter than anybody else or better than anybody else, but yeah, I've always been like, 
I know exactly what I need to do with my content. Um, I don't know. I feel like I know less these days with it getting more and more saturated, what people want or what people like. But from the start, I was like, I need to do the multi-species thing without question and put as much different content out as possible that as much different people can gravitate towards. Um, so I felt like that was a strategic move by me. Um, but obviously YouTube was the only place to really do that. I mean, you could do it on Facebook and now obviously that's a big thing now too. Um, but yeah, having the platform there was the only way it was possible. I mean, you can have whatever content you want without having a paying platform. It really changed everything with fishing. Yeah, no. Do you find it frustrating that when when you say how saturated it is, do you find it frustrating that it's not quite the good old days anymore that it once was? Yeah, man. I mean, I I put a video out like in December. It was the craziest content I've ever seen. I found a a flat that had like seventy five to one hundred fish. They were all like over eight pounds on it, and they were fighting over my glide bait. And I was recording it on live scope, and I have footage of catching a ten and a bunch of eights and nines on a glide bait, watching like fish fly off the bottom. Um, just stuff no one's ever seen. You know, it gets 35,000, 40,000 views, which is a lot, but it's like, I <laughs> I don't know. This stuff's never been documented before. So it's frustrating from that sense, having a half a million um, subscribers. But uh, yeah, it is it is what it is. And that's why I don't make one video every month. I make four videos every week. Is that just to keep the numbers at the same level that they once were, or is that to keep ahead of... No, I just do it. I mean, it's, it's, I always am out fishing. So it'd be pretty silly if I only filmed one day a week or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's to keep the money flowing and, and keep the sponsorship stuff happy, just like it is for uh, the tournament guys. Do you, I deal with this. Tell me if this happens to you. Like the negative about making your living, making content for fishing is that if you go fishing, by yourself and you're not making any content and you're just you know it's almost like you feel like you like you feel like you wasted it you know what i mean you're just like yeah. i had got on this incredible crankbait bite and i didn't shoot it so it's almost like it's a weird little mind oh yeah it's almost as like well i don't want to go fishing if i'm not going to record it because what if i catch a freaking giant or what if i <laughs> catch them on something that I could have made money making content for something like that. Um, but at the same time, like with the days when I get to like take my camera off and go out in the boat and like scan for like five hours and find a new spot on a Rayburn or pre-fish for a tournament and not have the camera on, that's like super therapeutic for me. So I've been trying to do that as much as possible. Sounds healthy. I mean, yeah. I, I just don't think I, I kind of laugh about it. And I also don't judge content anymore on because, I mean, you look at some of the underwater stuff that I've shot over the last number of years, and there'll be something I shoot where I'm like, this is going to, people are going to bring their children around to see, like, this is the most awesome <laughs> yeah. thing I've ever seen. Like, I mean, I've shots of bait being eaten and it's shooting out a fish's gill and another fish eating it and just like, all these things. And then you put up a video that is, I mean, some videos that I put, I mean, you put up enough stuff, there's going to be some that you think are home runs. And then there's some that you're like, yeah, this is just feeding the beast and it'll get 10 times more plays. Like there's yeah, so yeah. much stuff involved. Um, you, I just, I don't know if you figured it out, but I just feel like <laughs> if you try to figure the more you try to figure it out, like 
you know, you post it at a certain time, and you're like, okay, that is the time. Then a week later, it's not the time. It's just it's it's wild how all that stuff gets affected. Yeah, that's like the more you the more you press, the uh, the harder it can be a lot of times, and it's just like going to take longer for you to get out of that slump of not having a video really take off. Yeah, yeah. So, how much of your income comes directly from YouTube, and how much of your income comes from projects like Six Sense and the other companies that you're involved with? Yes, um, I mean YouTube's probably like a third or a quarter of my total income, I would say. Um, Facebook's a, a big contributor to that. I do a lot of brand deals. And then of course, uh, Six Cents and Waterland, our sunglass company. We got a ton of Elite Series guys uh, wearing Waterlands now. So I, I think like 10 or 12 Elite Series guys that'll be our Waterland pros this year, which is super cool. We started a sunglass company like four years, three, four years ago now. Um, just basically... We were just guys that wanted a better quality pair of sunglasses that didn't cost 280 bucks. Uh, we've accomplished that. And it's really, that's been a really successful thing for us too. So that's a, a big part of it. But yeah, I think I, I tell people that get into the fishing industry all the time, or they want to be in the fishing industry full time. It's very, very important to not have one revenue stream. You cannot be successful in this industry with one revenue stream, no matter what you think it is or what you got going or how it's growing, you have to diversify yourself. And that's one thing I've done from the start. That's been very, very important to me. Um, so I'm going to keep that going big time throughout the, uh, the tournament side too. Um, I'm not putting all my eggs in the tournament basket as much as I've been focused on it mentally. And I can't wait for it to start. Um, I definitely understand that um, that is just a small slice of the pie. If I'm going to be successful, that's not what makes up my entire brand. So, is that, is that the goal moving forward? More brands? Um, I try not to spread myself too thin. It's like we talked about at the start of this. Like I tried the podcast thing um, and I kind of, I just didn't get comfortable with it because I kind of felt like I was just doing a podcast because I know that it's good to have a podcast and because other people are doing it and because I, I mean, everyone wants their voice heard or their opinion heard or whatever. But with the more time I put towards that, I was like, I, could have just made a video or gone fishing today and made a uh, part of the content that's already got the train rolling. Um, so I think you can't spread yourself too thin. You almost, you only have so much time in the day. There's a couple other ideas. Um, I'm actually uh, working on a, a whiskey company right now uh, that I'm Come super on. excited about. Yeah. Uh, distillery that I'm going to be a part of. So hopefully that all uh, gets off the ground. That's such a long process with uh, aging whiskey and everything too. It's been a long process already, but very excited about that. Um, but yeah, just kind of, again, like we said, just the slow, gradual growing is important. You don't want to get so much of your time put into things that you don't have time for, which is easy to do in 2023. Yeah, very easy. I mean, you can <laughs> burn some time. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to answer this, but how many of the brands that you endorse do you have some level of ownership in? Um, I don't have any ownership in the company I get my boat and electronics from, which is Boatworks. Um, and I don't have any ownership in Powerhouse Lithium, which is my lithium company, but they're a Nebraska company. And uh, Boatworks is an Ozark company, which is where I spend a lot of my time fishing. So I'm proud to represent those brands. Besides that, I, I have ownership in the other brands. So um, I've kind of felt like I've been kind of self-made from the start, which I have a lot of pride in. I've had a lot of opportunities to kind of sell out and 
make a lot of money for things that I don't necessarily believe in. And I've kind of turned those offers down to be able to do things my own way and try to grow things on my own, which has cost me a lot of money and hard work. But um, that's one reason I'm really proud of um, what I've built. And that'll kind of be represented on my boat wrap this year that I just got finalized. So I'm excited to kind of show that off to some people. You got a bunch of people's faces on there, right? Is that what you're so doing? That's that's part of it. Yeah. The other part, I think you'll like too, Dave. Are you going to tell me the other part or no? We no, I'm not going to tell you. It's a surprise. It'll be out in like a week. Make you wait. All right. All right. Well, I'll <laughs> wait for that. Okay. Since you're not going to answer that question, I'll give you another one that you're probably not going to answer. <laughs> people talk about YouTubers making millions of dollars on YouTube. <laughs> is Is that realistic it's not realistic for me <laughs> it's definitely realistic for a lot of people i mean there's there's some guys that have crazy views on youtube um and obviously you make money from from different types of videos and and youtube delegates what ads go into your videos yeah. based on what ads have performed the most successful based on your audience demographics and how much money they spend and the i don't even know um the the breakdown of the demographics there it's not for me, but yeah, there's a lot of YouTubers that make millions of dollars without question. It's crazy. Which, which YouTubers do you look up to? I mean, not specifically in the fishing industry, but is there people that you look up to and be like, man, that is incredible what's happening there? Um, uh, not really, honestly. I don't really have any to be, to be honest. Definitely not in the fishing industry. Um, I really like like Brandon <laughs> Palinick's stuff. Um, I, I, they do a really good job and I love projects like, um, not to take away from Bassmaster, which is going to be my organization that I'm a part of, but, um, the FLW circuit breaker, I loved what they that was did a great. At the start with the, with those series. Those are some of my favorite, um, series that have ever been put out, um, that covered tournament fishing from a documentary side of things. So I really like those projects, I guess, more than like a specific page, but no, man, I don't, I don't look up to really any fishing channels in the, the YouTube industry. No, and not even fishing. Like, I mean, you don't look yeah. at like somebody like a Mr. Beast and be like, what he's doing is like literally changing the world with YouTube. I mean, I yeah, think it's that's true. Pretty incredible. Like, yeah, I, we've we watch some of his stuff with my son once in a while, and it is cool. I, I love the philanthropy side of things, and he really does give back. And I think there's not enough people that do that. So it, it's cool to be able to change things um, the way that he has without having any type of Netflix or cable television. Um, affiliation or anything it's pretty wild and it's definitely the direction that everything's going to go like we just talked about but um i mean i like to watch cool sports stuff all the time so i watch some funny stuff like that not really channels i look up to but yeah it, it is crazy to see what guys like mr beast have done i, I mean it, it's it's wild I, I just think what you know he's what he's done like i mean that's he's the dude who i point to when i'm like there's the future of like you but you look at youtube if you think if that dude thought it was anything else, he'd be on it because he can be like it, it, it's in his time. He's gone from being a dude who was on YouTube that nobody cared about to on every platform, whether it be television, radio or whatever. They need that guy to come on. I mean, and it's right. I, that's what I think is amazing about YouTube, in my opinion, because I've. My whole career has been spent in television and television's cool but it's so full of rules and it's so full mm -hmm. of like your, your first segment has to be this long. Well, what if it's, 
What if it's not good to be five minutes long? What if it's a way better segment to be just three minutes long or a better segment to be 10 minutes long? Like you're interrupting it just for commercials. That's what I find frustrating about the TV end of things versus the YouTube end of things where you can literally deliver exactly the product that you want to deliver. Yeah, 100%. That's what people, I, I get people tell me all the time, you should have your own fishing TV show. Why don't you have a fishing TV show? I'm like, well, I've heard heard some things from a lot of people and I don't want those restrictions because uh yeah just for the reason you just said yeah and it and and trust me you can have a tv show and they'll still want you to be on youtube because oh uh, yeah <laughs> it, it's the delivery method of the day um any plans to expand your youtube and to involve you know you see there's a lot of um collaborations between different people and stuff like that or do you always plan to stay? I mean, you've built everything you have by being yourself. It, would you ever work with other YouTubers? Well, I love to fish with people that I feel like bring value to my channel. Um, that's why you see why I'll go out and I'll fish with people like Lee Livesey, Mike Iaconelli, um, and, and Austin Felix, and these guys that are phenomenal fishermen and things that I'm not as good at as they are, or just have great stories and as someone that's a nerd of the sport, of course, selfishly, that's uh, something that I enjoy doing uh, a lot. But I feel like that brings a lot more value to my audience um, than me just going out to uh, link up with uh, someone on the Guggen squad or something just to get more views. Um, I've had that opportunity a lot. And it's just like not interesting to me to just get cheap subscribers and views from that where I could actually provide my audience with something valuable. So how did you know that that was not something you wanted to pursue? Because, I mean, you would think on paper, being a Guggen is good, you know, on paper. But how did you know that you didn't want to go that route? I mean, I think it's it's like we talked about. It's, it's short-term success um, with your career and financially. The faster you go up, the faster you're going to come down. And I, could, I guess it was kind of something I could see through pretty easily that um, – maybe some of these these youtubers from the start didn't know what the hell they were talking about with fishing so why would i want to have them be a part of my channel um if they're not like crazy entertaining when i have the zark who's going off rope swings into 35 degree water at lake of the ozarks on new year's day after we just slammed whiskey in the parking lot and told <laughs> stories on a video the night before like that's a little bit more entertaining to me than <laughs> hopping on a video saying, Oh, I got this guy on follow his channel. And people see right through that. And I think they've seen through that bullshit for a long time. And so being real with the audience was something that was very important to me. And it always will be. Do you still ask people to like comment and subscribe and all that crap? Cause it's the part I hate, but it's also like people say you, you kind of have to do it. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think it helps, but I try not to as much as possible. If I genuinely want someone like, hey, um, I use this technique with six-pound test. Do you guys like to use that? Or what, what do you guys think you, about this technique? Or what videos, like I'm doing a video on glide baits. Like what videos do you want to see um, on glide baits? Like what what questions do you guys have? Like let me know so I can start answering these in my videos. That's That's more important to me than – being the guy that's like, welcome back to Melican Fishing. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. It's like, ah, uh, that, uh, that ship sailed like 10 years ago, so I try not to. 
Uh, I hate it. I hate it's the it's the part about YouTube that I hate. Like I just feel like, I, and I also look at my own experience. I don't think I've ever subscribed to a channel because somebody was like, "Hey, subscribe." You know what I mean? Because you subscribe to something because you're like, "That's good content." I don't want to miss this channel. I don't want to miss getting this content in my feed, and that's ultimately why i've subscribed to every channel so i don't know why i ask people to like comment subscribe but while we're at it hey make sure you like comment and subscribe <laughs> to both of our channels <laughs> it uh no it's been i i'm really looking forward to seeing this year dude i really uh i think what you're doing is is cool i think what you're doing is rare i mean it, everybody can stick and do the same thing um but i i think what you're doing is cool and and I think it'll be awesome to watch, you know, the learning experience that you go through, you know, that, and dude, I'd love to have you at the Bassmaster classic. I mean, uh, man, that would be incredible. That's, that's the biggest goal. Like I would obviously like being on the elite series. Like I know a bunch of those guys now I'm buds with them. I talk to them almost every single day, but the classic is something that I've gone to um, several, a bunch of times all over the country. And uh, yeah, that's the ultimate goal. I, I, I mean, that's, that's probably a bigger goal for me than to be in the elite series, but um, yeah, that goes back to my strategy. Obviously I can't try to swing and win every single tournament or it's going to not go well. No, but I think you'll figure it out. I mean, you, you've figured out a lot in this industry and, uh, I really, and, and I'm not the only one. I mean, I hear it from other people that they're like, how do you think Millican will do this year? And I, I really think just from some of the stuff you point out here, like how you've shifted, I think a lot of people that have dabbled in tournaments from the YouTube world, never focused on tournaments. They focused on YouTube and, and the tournaments got jammed in a little bit in between it the fact that you know you're not netting fish anymore the fact that you're making advantage you know what i mean you're literally looking at it like anything like a sport i think that's what'll set you aside and i look forward to seeing it go down i'm excited i could not be more excited i'm like ready to jump out of my skin to get to freaking alabama i listen to some people on podcasts are like what do you think the fish will be doing i don't I don't know i guess we'll go down there and we'll kind of see no i'm like i know every spot i want to hit and practice out on that lake already. I cannot get there fast enough. It cannot get here soon enough, man. I am so pumped. Well, I'm excited to watch it go down. And and um, I thank you for doing this, dude. I, I, it's been an interesting conversation. I, I think that uh, hopefully some people learned a lot more about you and, and who you are as a person. And uh, it's going to be a fun year. Oh, I, I just hope you make the classic, <laughs> dude. Make, make the freaking oh, classic. Man. We will party. We will party okay. at the class. Deal. It's, it's a, and then send me a bottle of that that booze you're making. Deal. We got some some Melican small batch, a, a limited batch coming out soon. I'll get you a bottle, Dave. Wow. Wow. That hey. 250 bottles of it. You get your name on one of them. Really? Yes, sir. I'll, I'm so glad I had you on and not somebody else. I mean, <laughs> nobody ever gives me crap. So that means a lot. Well, it means a lot of you taking the time to have me on, Dave. Seriously, I, I you saying that, seeing me at the Classic and want me to be there is extra motivation that I didn't need. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, we've been we've been doing uh, for a while. We've literally talked about this. And, and by the way, once we're done, give me your phone number. We could got to stop our relationship. <laughs> like, do Agreed. I even have your number? I think we only talk on on Instagram. Um, Sounds good. <laughs> weird. It's weird. I'm in your DMs. <laughs> Thank you very much, dude. Yeah, appreciate it, Dave. There you have it. YouTube sensation Ben Milliken. And uh, as I've said a few times, I love a risk taker, somebody who's willing to lay it on the line. But I also love an honest and open conversation. And for Ben to open up about himself having to battle depression at times um, and the grind that YouTube is and it just keeps going, I think is pretty cool. And it's good for people to see that because it's real. It's something that many people deal with. And for Ben to be secure enough and open enough to open up about that, I think was pretty darn cool. So um, make sure to thank Ben for being on the show. Um, I'll put down his YouTube info in the comments and in the description. Make sure to hop over there. Give him a sub. Thank him for being on the show because I think that was a pretty cool conversation. We're going to have another cool conversation next week. Obviously, tomorrow morning, stop number two of the Bassmaster Elite Series kicks off on Lake Seminole. So we'll have all the doings and all the goings on from that event and Okeechobee because next week we will be back with Jake's Take. Jake Latondras joins the show once again and we'll give you all the behind-the-scenes scuttlebutt and stuff. You know, whatever. You know, some of it will be really interesting. Some of it probably not so interesting. Jake's stuff is always interesting. What am I talking about? Here's the question of the week for you guys. How do you think Ben Milliken's going to do in the Bassmaster Opens? Let me know your thoughts in the comments. And here's a bonus question of the week. Who do you think the dream guest is for episode 100 of this show? Coming up in just two weeks' time. Without further ado, let's throw it to the one and only Bob Cobb. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to. You hear?